Support for this podcast is provided by Cosmic, a Portland-based agency consisting of technologists, storytellers, and strategists who help nonprofits and B Corps quickly grow revenue and impact. Start growing your mission-driven organization with Cosmic at AmplifyPDX.com. From That Cast Creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the PDX Executive Podcast. Some of you that know me in real life uh, know that I drink way too much coffee. I love coffee, I love talking about coffee, and I'm really excited to have a guest uh, on who's really doing some exciting things here locally. So Emily McIntyre, who's the CEO and founder of Catalyst Trade. Emily, welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Hello, everyone. So I, I think, you know, we, we before recorded, I love just to get right into it and learn a little bit about Catalyst Trade and kind of the origin story and, you know, kind of your mission. So if you don't mind with that big, broad question, I get going. Oh, from there. of course, I could I could speak about this all day because Catalyst Trade is a passion project for the three of us founders. That's myself, uh, my life partner and business partner, Michael. Together, we've founded, failed, succeeded, net, net. I want to say five or six different coffee okay. businesses over the past decade, and also our Ethiopian co-founders, Alalam Girmabayu. The three of us have been working together in Ethiopian coffee since the 2013-2014 harvest. And Michael and I moved ourselves, plus at the time, our four-year-old daughter to Ethiopia for a while to get to know mm-hmm. Zeli better, as well as the overall Ethiopian coffee supply chain in the 2016 era. So over time, Catalyst Trade emerged as a way to create, hopefully, systems that would allow for better equity in the coffee supply chain. Now, the coffee supply chain is one that's both over-publicized and under-publicized. Mm. We have a lot of articles about how your coffee gets to your cup and you know the economics of a cup of coffee. We have a lot of moral arguments, too, about coffee um, publicly in the media as well as within our industry. But what we are addressing is a lot of the hidden causes in the Ethiopian supply chain specifically for inequity. And of course, we're working with a system that is, in a way, problematic from the get-go because we have the value adders at the bottom of the chain who are receiving the least of what they um, should, I think, personally. But in the other way, you know, to back out from a simplistic kind of diagnosis, what we have is the intent and the ability to create systems at each stage in the supply chain that allow us to ensure we're doing the best possible business at each phase. Best possible business defined with an eye to the future. So are we preserving coffee as a whole and within the area because climate change and many other factors are threatening coffee itself? Are we preserving the livelihood and the quality of life of the stakeholders that we're interacting with? We are based on stakeholder theory. And we really focus especially on the stakeholders at the ground level. So that would be the smallholder producers who pick the coffee out of their backyards, carry it in a sack a mile or two or more to the nearest collection center, and then use the payment that they receive to send their kids to school, pay the rent on their huts, 
everything else. It's often their only cash crop. So we take those stakeholders' health very seriously, of course, as well as everyone else. So examining each key point at which transactions take place and then ensuring that we have the best possible interactions there, the most investment and the most long-term perspective in place with a relational focus is how we do it here at Catalyst. We're creating a model. Go ahead. One more moment. Yes, we're creating a model we believe will extrapolate to the entire industry. It is very exciting. Well, thanks for that overview, Emily. And I want to go back. So you lived you in Ethiopia with your family. That's and true. How, how yeah. Long you li- how long did you live there? We spent about six months there through an okay. entire harvest and export prep cycle. We were working with a number of people, different parts in the chain. It was an amazing introduction, deep dive to this fascinating country and its system. So tell, can you kind of paint the picture of just like, hey, you were there for the harvest. <laughs> yeah. Um, just just the, you know, the talk about the people that are actually harvesting the families. Because I think sometimes, I mean, for me, I'm just talking this personally, like in all the goods we consume that disconnect, right? So any chance I can right, get, well, of course. get a better picture of, of that is, I think, helpful, you know, for me, but helpful for other people too. So, Yeah, definitely. Well, Ethiopian coffee and For everyone who's listening, I just have to give a little plug for Ethiopian coffee. I'm so biased, but also Ethiopian coffee. Well, Ethiopia was the birthplace of coffee. So when we talk about a supply chain within Ethiopia, we're honoring the very origin of coffee and thus the daily ritual that drives so much of our connection, the way that we interact with the world, our creativity, and so much more. So to tie it back to the field, we have, um, I mentioned a smallholder producer, Honestly, pretty similar to me. I live in Southeast Portland and there's plum tree in my backyard. Did not plant it. Really don't do yard work, but somehow it thrives. And every year there's, there are so many plums. I don't even like plums, but pretend that this is coffee. (laughs) Once a year, I go back to my plum tree and I pick five gallon buckets full of plums. And then I haul them in the back of my truck or whatever to a local farmer's market where I sell them for some cash. And I take that cash and I use it. But pretend that the plum tree and that cash is probably my only source of cash. And then turn all of that into spicy little red coffee cherries. And you have the beginning of the supply chain. Um, So in Ethiopia, usually you have smallholder coffee farmers. And we use the word farmers kind of loosely because many of them are not actually cultivating. The coffee grows wild It is a cornucopia of genetic possibility, and the climate often just beautifully allows coffee to come to its potential. So it's easy. It's not difficult to grow and pick coffee in Ethiopia, really. And so the grandmother or the mother will enlist all the children, and they'll just pick as much as they can from the ground surrounding their hut. This is in most of the areas of Ethiopia. And then either they'll borrow someone's mule or they will haul the cherries themselves to a local collection center. Now, this is an oversimplification. There are a lot of other points, but in general, that collection center is going to be what we call a washing station. And a washing station is kind of like a factory. In fact, in Kenya, they're called factories um, for producing a closer to finished coffee product. So the haul from the day, many different smallholders, could even be hundreds, will come, it'll be consolidated, it'll be purchased, entered into a logbook and consolidated into huge batches, 10,000 kgs or so. And those cherries are poured through a hopper and then they go through a series of steps to get them to 
what we as coffee importers will purchase, which would be if it's washed processed coffee, parchment, and if it's dried processed coffee, gem fill. And so what that looks like is this. Actually, do we want this much detail, Dan, or, or shall we continue? No, I think it's important. And what I wanted to get to, too, and is this is helpful for us to, to, this, to know kind of the process. But I'm also interested from the farmers, you know, the families doing this, what's their knowledge of how it gets consumed oh my in gosh. America? Right? And Almost nothing. Like, okay. They have no, it traditionally, now this is changing. And frankly, my company is working very hard to change this. Yeah. We do believe the stories that, happen around what we consume and what we produce are part of how we have agency over our own work. But backing away from that, traditionally, no, there's so there's no visibility. So the mm. smallholder brings their cherries to the washing station and they go. That's it. There's no other connection. If they're lucky, they are able to have a long-term recurring relationship with the owners and managers of that washing station. Okay. Washing stations don't usually also have access to buyers. This again is shifting. Ethiopia's coffee sector is in a dynamic state of change. But traditionally, the first people in the supply chain who get to talk to buyers are the exporters. And the buyers they talk to are people like Catalyst Trade, who are just B2B. We work in between the exporter and the roaster. So really, there's a huge breakdown of information all the way from farm to cup. If you reverse the process, there's a lot more visibility from cup to farm. But I would argue that if we don't have full two-way transparency and visibility, it's not really the kind of equity that we're trying to create. Right. Well, this okay. Now, Emily, now we're getting we're getting into it. So, because you're because <laughs> yes. the goal is the goal is not for you from what I'm hearing, and you can break this down for me further to come in and be like to the that that family at that level and be like, we got all these new processes, this new equipment, we're going to make it way more uh, efficient. It's more, you said, that transparency and that equity in the chain. Is that right? And can you give some examples? Yes, I guess, in the work yes definitely. So first of all, there are a lot of legal requirements that have to be complied with. So Catalyst Trade is an Ethiopian American company. We are co-owned by Ethiopians and Americans, but we are an American registered company. So we do have to be very careful about the way that we do our investment. And that is constantly shifting as Ethiopia opens to foreign direct investment. But we're lucky that my co-founder, Zeli, is just remarkably invested and engaged at every level. So through Zeli, Catalyst has had a lot of success with this type of direct contact with the smallholder producers and with the washing stations who work with them. Usually they're family-owned, you know? So I'm thinking of... Um, I'm thinking of in Bonazoria Sadama, which is a really popular origin right now for Ethiopian coffee due to a lot of cool competitions and things that are happening. Um, there are a number of family-owned sites. They work with the same producers every year. And so at a very minimum, what we try to do is, my, so my co-founder Zeli and his team will spend a lot of time on site helping with the processing of our coffees. We have a lot more process control and investment than any of our competitors. Boots on the ground in reality. <laughs> so Zelly will make sure that if he's able to, he will host a feast for all of the local smallholders who bring their cherries. So, you know, it's a lot of work for everyone. This yeah. is backbreaking labor. People are usually not paid enough. Although again, that's hard to argue what exactly enough is when you look at the microeconomics of an area. But we always try to incentivize with extra payments as well as fun perks like, hey, Catalyst is buying goats. So every year for each area where we work, we try to have a feast and we'll buy, 
goats for the Christians and goats for the Muslims and everybody eats together, but we keep the processes separate, which is obviously important for mm-hmm. being respectful in the area. And um, Zelly, my co-founder, or myself and my other co-founder, Michael, if we're there, we will explain about the process of what happens to the coffee. We try to bring bags of coffee from the washing station, or if we're talking with a particular producer, and we have been successful in isolating some smallholder producers, we'll bring a bag of their coffee roasted from, I don't know, Bold Bean Coffee in Florida or Caravan Coffee in Newburgh. And we'll bring that with the name on it and the coffee inside, and we'll bring it back to Ethiopia and brew it for them and talk about the process. It is one of the most remarkable experiences. The funny thing, of course, on a humorous side, is Ethiopians drink so much coffee. The Buna ceremony is everywhere in the culture. However, (laughs) they have very different methods of drinking coffee from their end consumers because the coffees that I work with are considered very high-end specialty. And so usually we're talking lighter roasting, high acidity, lots of fruit content, and usually brewed in a pour-over or a single origin shot. You know, something extremely... Um, intense and specific. Mm -hmm. And so we try to bring those brewing methods back. And uh, we've been, people tell us this tastes like tea or they call it red coffee because it's not dark enough. Um, Across Uh the board though, usually people find it intriguing at a minimum and often they really love their own coffee prepared in that way. So the storytelling, there's one way that we do this. Frankly, there's so much more progress to be made We are just at the beginning of our plans for ways to unify the supply chain like this, but Mm -hmm. our everyday actions at Origin as a company, and really everyone else's too, but speaking speaking as Catalyst Trade, the way that we act every day, the respect that we pay to the day laborers, not just the leaders of the sites, Mm -hmm. all of that plays into this increasing of equity for the entire supply chain. It's a ripple effect ground up. And we really are seeing a lot of evidence that it's changing. Even our competitors are beginning to use the same language and some of the same tactics because they work. People work harder, they produce more, and they produce better value when they feel valued and they're paid Mm -hmm. appropriately. So it's, it's great. I love to see this. Positive change. No, I mean, this is, this is fascinating to me. Uh, So your, talk about your customers. Like you said, they're probably the the um, more independent coffee retailers. Is that right? I might be totally wrong. I, I, I don't know. So I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, how definitely. All, yeah. Honestly, to be a Catalyst customer requires that you're a special type of roaster. We work with quite a lot of independent roasters throughout North America, concentrated on the West Coast, the East Coast, and the middle of the States, and then also in Canada, um, a lot of clusters there. And each Catalyst roaster or partner is one who genuinely values the way that their coffee's traded. So they give a shit about how it's done. And we also do. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we sync up. Yeah. So Catalyst coffees are usually higher quality, but they're also usually higher priced. We invest a lot more. And so it is one of those money where your mouth is kind of things. And mm-hmm. I am so proud. My partner, Michael, and I have been working in the industry now, well, for me since 2008 and for him since 2003, And it's taken us this long to truly find our people in coffee. And we have, and we work with them on a daily basis. And our coffees make them successful because they're differentiated in the market and they have stories Mm -hmm. and they taste great. And there's so much goodness that kind of goes forth to the final cup for coffee customers. Locally, we work with a lot of local roasters. Um, Really, really honored to do so. Portland has been so kind to us in coffee. 
over the years since Michael and I moved here as Midwestern transplants in 2014. Well, it's interesting. I mean, as somewhere like we can, we'll start transitioning to talking about Portland a little bit, but it's cool to hear that, you know, here we are 2022 and that is only getting, is only increasing the level of interest, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. um, I mean, the joke about Portland, just like Seattle is like, there's a, a coffee shop every half block, right? <laughs> so, right. Well, it's kind of true, isn't more, it? <laughs> Well, yeah, it's very true. As someone, I love it. But um, you'd think, how do all these survive and differentiate themselves? But it makes total sense. And it, again, it's just really inspiring to see that um, it's only getting more, right? This care and interest yeah. and even yeah. down the consumer side, not just the roaster side, right? So yeah, very no, interesting. The specialty coffee industry is one that has a lot of conundrums built into it, I think. Because we in the specialty coffee industry are trying to affect change, and yet often those who are care the most about affecting change actually have the least agency. And so mm-hmm. Catalyst is working to try to address that, where we really do see ourselves as representing the change makers in coffee and doing it through tested methods. Um, but coffee customers, coffee consumers are, as you say, becoming so much more knowledgeable and caring about their coffee. And I am so encouraged by that. I got started in Portland and even before that as a food and beverage journalist. I interviewed people who made beer. I interviewed people who made wine. I talked to cocktail bartenders and spent a lot of time talking with coffee customers and roasters. And I have to say that even in those, since those days, I've seen such an uptick in care which is ironic, or maybe not ironic, but it seems ironic given that there's this sort of perception that the world's in a tough place, mm-hmm. and it is. But mm-hmm. I also see and believe and historically can, can also observe that humans as a whole, we grow, we get better when we're challenged. And so that's happening in coffee. And I'm so proud and excited to be full of vision at the forefront of what's happening in Catalyst Trade. But beyond just my company, you know, as as a change agent for the entire industry. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that being said about just being here, I mean, is there a, a great peer group uh, outside just coffee, but you said like wine, y- you know, beer, like it's all kind of within that family and those change makers and that ethos we have in that kind of food and beverage industry. So I'm assuming it's a great place to do what you do here, but I would love yeah. to hear more about you, why, but also some challenges maybe we have here locally too. As just as In Portland, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I spent most of the years building Catalyst Trade, just heads down, really only talking to industry people. And I changed right. that intentionally in 2019. Late 2019, I began to get invested in local entrepreneurial groups. So I started out with Accelerate, which is a women's um, Mm -hmm. kind of peer group mentorship. That was intensely helpful for me. And I began to lean into the Oregon Entrepreneurial Network and eventually joined EO, Entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. Organization, the Portland chapter. But outside of those organizations, I have to say individuals that I talk with, both inside and outside of coffee here in Portland, have been my my biggest support. I'm so grateful for their support, whatever industry they're in. Um, Specifically, on the positive side, Portland has been a kind place to myself and to Michael as we've built our coffee businesses. Quite frankly, we had no idea what we were doing from a business standpoint for many years. And we were received with such care, such love and support. People believed in the story. They saw our good intentions and they decided to hop on board, even when things didn't always go well. The first first container of Ethiopian coffee we tried to 
bring in, we pre-sold to everyone, often local, like a lot of local roasters and a few outside of Portland at the time. This was back in 2014, I think. Okay. And unfortunately, due to an error and lack of knowledge on our part, an error on someone else's part, the coffee that came in was not the coffee we'd been sold. It was not the coffee we'd sold mm. to our supply or to our partners. And that is a common problem for the coffee supply chain, especially in Ethiopia. It was really a bad situation. We nearly went into mediation with the supplier and all of the Portland roasters who supported us could have just said, oh, wow, I didn't really know you. And now I don't think I trust you. But instead they embraced right. us and they said, how can we help you figure this out? We can't buy this coffee because it's not for our program, but have you talked to so-and-so? And we're still oh, wow. working with a lot of those roasters like Chris Brady over at Extracto in Northeast and Pete Miller at Caravan in Newburgh. I mean, these people have been so deeply, deeply kind to us. Wes and Chris at Case Study Coffee. Oh my gosh. I worked for them for, for a couple of years before I really leaned into what I'm doing now. Wonderful okay. people. So on the tougher side, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I love that because that is just another example of like the Portland Spirit. Like instead of, it was a different part of the country, it could, could have gone the other way. You know Very I mean? much so. Like you said, we're not going not gonna to pick up your phone call again, but instead it's like, right. they're helping. No, they trusted so. us. They believed yeah. in us and we have worked so hard to justify their trust. And now, of course, what we do goes so far beyond Portland. And yet still being based here, we take it very seriously. Mm -hmm. um, we don't serve the public. We are appointments only, you know, B2B. So I don't think that I have personally had to deal with a lot of the challenges that retail Portland business owners have. Right. I do have a lot of friends who have, and I've heard a lot of tough things from them. But I also speak to folk, you know, one of my business mentors holds real estate and has a lot of really cool businesses downtown. And he's so excited about the revitalization of downtown. And I'm so excited about it. I want to be part of it in different ways. As my company grows, we've been hiring a lot in the last year. We went from three employees to eight on site in the last year and we'll continue That's to great. grow at that rate. So I really look forward to learning more about being a business in Portland outside of just the coffee industry. Frankly, I don't, I don't really have any criticisms because yeah. I think everybody's doing their best and I would like to be right. part of solutions. I mean, I love that attitude. And um, as we kind of shore up a couple of things for a conversation, getting back to just the more supply chain, obviously this last year or two years, the supply chain has just, and everything has been severely crunched. Right. Right. So, oh, how, are you, so how are you working through that? <laughs> how, how are you, in, especially with the care and attention that you dedicate to that whole process? I mean, how, how has that been? How has it affected you? It's affected us in many ways. I do think that Challenges like these are the crucible that cause us to get better at business mm. and not just business, but life. So that's how I embrace these challenges. But they've been very challenging. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just from a cost angle, um, everything has increased, doubled or tripled um, logistics wow. costs. And we do operate a pretty low margins business because, you know, that's how it works when you're buying and selling commodities, even at a boutique level. Mm. Um, so we've had to be very careful there. I think timelines have been really impacted for me. So, you know, I have an annual purchase and inv invoicing cycle. And if my invoicing cycle is delayed due to, well, actually we had some ships behind the Evergrande disaster. And so oh, we had wow. some products. So we, we tend, here's a, just a kind of micro example. Yeah, We source from the entirety of Ethiopia's coffee as much as we can. And so the earliest coffees that come ripe are from the West part the kingdom, the ancient kingdom of Kepha. 
And okay. we bring those in first. They tend to have a slightly um, shorter shelf life, not 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 like dr- dramatically, but definitely for the very rarefied QC that we and our customers do. We try to front load those for the harvest. Well, our okay. Kefa coffees this year were stuck behind the Evergrande and the arrival was delayed by two or three months. It didn't materially wow. impact the coffee because we were able, we had it all pre-sold and we were able to move it pretty quickly. But it definitely was something that we were watching carefully, put in a lot more QC hours on that coffee. We had a lot more communications out with our customers. And, it, you know, I know that many people who are shipping Ethiopian coffee were hoping to land in July and just now landed their product. Wow. That's more than just logistics, though. Ethiopia's yeah, okay. coffee supply chain is in an interesting place. There's a huge shortfall of coffee mm. in Ethiopia against contracts. So that's that's, that's part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, but for roasters, for it's impactful. Yeah, absolutely. And you think coming down to the local, going to, you know, I go to case study and, you know. How yes, definitely. Yeah, it impacts right? them so much so, yeah. because they have so. to, if they've purchased coffee from me, then they have to delay their rollout of my coffee. Maybe they have to source from one of my competitors that has a different coffee. It's not the coffee they wanted. Obviously, they're going to put the work in to make sure it's great, but it can impact mm-hmm. their cash flow because then all of a sudden when my coffee lands, they have to make good on their contracts. Obviously, I work with them. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it from a very small level, this really, really plays into the cafe level. Even here in Portland, logistics delays around the holidays were crazy. So holiday releases yeah. were delayed. What happens if your special expensive coffee you wanted to release for Christmas doesn't come in until January? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's the whole, <laughs> that's the whole point. We'll still right? drink it. We'll still drink it, but... Uh, right, right. We uh, may not want to pay yeah. holiday prices for it. <laughs> we don't need I to give it for just, gifts. Yeah. Well, you know, Emily, this is really fascinating to me. And I, I thank you for everything you, Definitely. you do. And as someone who drinks a lot of specialty coffee and just kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's helpful. And I think that's helpful for the people who's maybe who are listening, most of them are here in Portland who probably do the same thing I do. So if folks do want to learn more about your company or just connect with you, um, I would love for you to tell them where they can, can learn more. Definitely. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I, I love to talk to local coffee people and even coffee drinkers, learn what you're into. So connect with us at, on Instagram at Catalyst Trade, or you can hit me up by email directly, emily at catalyst-trade.com. I would honestly love to hear from you. Thank you for having me. What a pleasure. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.